Bible passage this morning is um, Book of Acts, chapter 16. The sermon text will be um, 16 through 18. I think I'm going to read to 21 for a little bit of context. Okay, I think that's right. You know what? What we'll do is read, we'll read 14 through 21, just really for the kind of thematic context. Acts 16, verse 14, hear the perfect word of our perfect God. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. When she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and they are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. God's word. We bless it to his glory and to the extension of his kingdom and to the destruction of the devil's kingdom. Let's pray. Our Lord God, you are God, and beside you there is no other. You alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the one true and living God, the triune true and living God, and we are, we are the sheep of your pasture, Jesus Christ. Help me, Almighty God, as your herald, as your spokesman, who's sufficient to preach for you, certainly not me. And I pray, Thou, my great Jehovah, that the words of my lips, the meditation of my heart, would be according to your word. Even my tone, Lord God, would be properly sufficient to bring you honor. And that you would build us all up through the ministry of this, your word. Apply it, Holy Spirit, something which I am not able to do, and only you. Apply your holy word. Cause us to die to sin grow in righteousness, and look to and lean upon Christ alone as our only hope in life and death. We pray these things in the Redeemer's name. Amen. We've mentioned before, if if you're a student of the Bible, and I hope you are a student of the Bible as Christians, the Lord Jesus Christ says... um, that we're to live on every single word that proceeds from the mouth of our God, Matthew chapter 4. Sometimes we have to hyphenate all over the place. We're this kind of Christian, that kind of Christian. In the land of my birth, we didn't use the phrase born-again Christian. Uh, And when you use the term born-again Christian, it meant you were in a cult because I was a Roman Catholic and anyone outside of the Roman Catholic Church was going to not go to heaven. Um, We were the true church, as it were. But to use the phrase born-again in meant you're in a cult, but that's not what it means. It means that you're truly joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to use a phrase, Bible-believing Christian, which I hate to use that phrase. Uh, Every Christian who is a Christian, how do you know Christ from the Word of God? We should be Bible Christians. 
But as Bible Christians, the book of Acts, we should be familiar with it. It's about the extension of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's, it's, the, it's the obedience of Christ's servants to the Great Commission, which is to take, take the evangel, the gospel of Christ, that he saves sinners, the only kind of people that there are, and he saves them in himself, and then he continuously sanctifies us, and one day he's going to come back and he's going to glorify us. And that message is for everyone, black, white, rich, poor, male, female, um, everyone. And so the gospel-ers are busy about the business. And I read uh, 14 and 15. That was last week's passage. And so thematically, what we've been considering, the God is a God of order. We're going to look at that tonight from Numbers chapter 2. Pray for me for the, the Numbers series. I, I picked up the Numbers series that night because I'm super interested in the book. <laughs> it's going to be rough plowing for me. It's, I, I love it. It's a hard book to prepare for, so pray for me. But we're going to look at the orderliness of God. And even when you look at the Bible, if you start to unpack it the way that God puts it together, there's a logical order here. Last week, we looked at the the reception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lydia received Jesus. What we're looking at this week, and then if God gives us a next week, is the rejection of the Lord Jesus. The the two responses. The gospel goes out. uh, Lydia says yes. And then these, the people that we'll consider are, are the rejection. But it's still the proclamation of the gospel and then the two responses. But I do want to just touch on very briefly uh, Lydia. She is a businesswoman. It's, it's, it's very unique. She's a Gentile. There's so many things that the Holy Spirit says, look at the kind of folks that I'm saving. She's a Gentile. She's a God-fearer, which is a technical term. She's a businesswoman. She's off... What, Likely in business pursuits, she's 250 miles from her home, and she's off in in Philippi, and um, she's down by the river where there's a a prayer meeting, worship service going on, and the Bible tells us that God opened her heart to believe what Paul was preaching. And what Paul is preaching is he preaches Christ. Everywhere he goes, he preaches Christ. And I don't mean in a silly way, Um, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But he talks, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When you hear these preachers, Peter, Paul, John, Christ is through the sermon. This isn't just boys have short hair and girls have long dresses. And I'm for having short hair. I mean, I'm losing my hair. I'm going to have no hair. So, but it's not short hair sermons or long dresses sermons. And I don't think, whatever, I mean, it's Christ as Savior, as Sanctifier. That's what he's preaching. And so God the Holy Spirit opens up her heart. I just want to point this out. There, were more than one, there was more than one woman sitting here, and we're only told that one woman believes. And we, we see why that she believes, that God the Holy Spirit opens her heart. The external call of the Gospel, as we look at the themes of reception and rejection, it's the same Gospel that goes out. We sometimes talk about the external call of the gospel and the effectual call of the gospel. And the difference being the Holy Spirit takes out our stony heart and gives us a heart of flesh. This is the Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament, regeneration, and then the New Testament would be John 3, 1 through 9. You must be what? What does the Bible say? You must be what? Born again. You must have the Holy Spirit. You've got to have, you've got to have faith. This is the Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. It's a gift of God. We don't, we're not born with it. We're born dead in our sins and trespasses. So God the Holy Spirit makes this woman alive. That's his business. 
And Paul is not the one that made the sermon effectual. And even Lydia herself, she receives Christ. She says yes to Christ. But ultimately, it's not inherent in her. God is the one that gives the faith. Though she's responsible to believe, it's a conundrum. You could, if you're on the, on the Arminian set, side, you can say, aha, there's the irreconcilableness of the, the Calvinistic system. It's a conundrum. She's dead in her sins and trespasses. She's required to believe, and God alone gives faith, but she's required to believe. I admit that I can't reconcile it until we go to heaven. So this, there's the external call of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. And the, he says, we beg people. We beg people. I'm a high Calvinist, but high Calvinism isn't the veins or... If you read John Calvin on, on, on Romans 10, you're going to think he's a flaming Arminian. You think, what? I beg you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be reconciled, receive Christ, believe in him, repent of your sins now, today. Was that Calvin? I promise you it is. And so here Paul, out of love to this woman, says essentially, again, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to the end, we beg you in the name of Jesus Christ, when you, we beg you in the name of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God in Christ. Repent of your sins. Believe. We beg you. Why? Because Paul loved them. The people that say, hey, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you don't, send me a postcard from hell. See you later. And we do that. You don't love the people. Let's suppose your mom is not a believer. Your dad's not a believer. Let's suppose you're a mom or a dad and your kid's not a believer. Do you just say, send me a postcard from hell if you don't believe because I'm a Calvinist and I guess you're not the elect? Send me a postcard from hell? Is that what you do? No. You weep. You please. We don't know who the elect are. That's God's business. And then God brings her to faith. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's like 14 to 16, the same gospel, it's the same gospel, being preached by the same guy on the same occasion. Some receive, some reject. But it has two different smells depending upon the recipient. You know what I'm talking about? The message of Christ as God come in the flesh being that sin bearer, which is the gospel, good news. It It has two different aromas. Same words, same Christ. To those busy being lost, it's the stench or the aroma of what? Death. To the people busy being saved, this woman, the good news is what? It's the aroma of life, eternal life. And life and death is really seen in connection with God. To be a part, God is omnipresent. So sometimes people think in hell God's not going to be there. No, that's not true. There's no place that God cannot be because he's omnipresent and and he's immutable, he's unchangeable. God will be in hell, but it will be the offended presence the, the offended just presence of God, his punishing presence. And so it's not possible to be apart from God. But when we think of life and death, think this, separated from the friendly presence of God or acquiring the offended presence of God. And so death is to be separated from the friendly presence of God and life is to be reconciled to the friendly presence of God, if that, if that makes sense. And so... When that message of come to Christ, repent of your sins, be reconciled to God goes out for those who have been appointed to eternal life and they believe, it's the best news you're ever going to hear. So for, I'm, I'm in a Christian church, Christian worship on the Lord's Day, talking to Christians. 
When I tell you that in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven, even the ones that you... I, I, I was an unbeliever for a long time, and you drive, I drive down the road, and I don't know what it is. Something will happen. A song will be playing from my college, and then you just remember all the filth. But then you, I'm quick to remind myself, I'm forgiven of that. Done. All of your sins are free. It's the best news you're ever going to hear. You go to the doc- doctors and you say, hey, guess what? You don't have glaucoma. Awesome. No glaucoma. Awesome. It's better than hearing no glaucoma. You're reconciled. You're beloved. You're God's child. You're going to go through this wilderness and then you're going home. So th- that's Lydia. This passage that we're looking at today, I wish I could preach Lydia again. And some people think, well, John, you're like a, you like to talk about bad things because you're mostly Irish and you like to do sad. And I don't really, I don't really, I don't want to jump over things that the Bible talks about. If the Bible says, look, it, here's people that reject Jesus. As much as I want to go back and talk about Lydia, we have to talk about the people that reject Jesus. I didn't write it. I promise I, I didn't write it. Now, I do have my hobby horses. And if you come a couple weeks, you'll know. I like to ride my hobby horse every once in a while. So today's passage, we're going to take, we read to the end, there are two classes of people that reject Jesus. And I'm going to extrapolate on this as we go along. And I'm only going to deal with one. I'm counting the slave girl as one rejecter of Jesus, and I'll tell you why in just a bit. Maybe I'll tell you why right now. She has a python spirit, and then we'll unpack her later. So she's demon-possessed. So demon-possessed people don't uh, receive Jesus savingly because you can't have the Holy Spirit in a demon. If you are are a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit. You can't be demon-possessed. So she's an unbeliever, but she rejects in a tricky way. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the the more easily discernible kind of rejecter. They reject, for the old-fashioned reason, the love of money. So we're going to unpack what it means to uh, reject Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. So in the proclamation of the gospel, there's an offering of Jesus. Come to Jesus. Receive Jesus. Love. I, I, I guess I'm a broken record. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We're, receiving, we're really receiving a real person spiritually, mystically. That's the gospel. So you say, I had many years ago, I'm here in a church, I'm in the church mostly by myself most of the week, so ministry is intensely private and intensely public, and so people come all the time to the church, and one day a young woman was walking up, and I don't let young women in the church when I'm not here, I always meet them outside on the concrete, whatever, so I ran outside to meet the young woman. And she said, well, I was coming by, and so what's an Orthodox Presbyterian? Could I talk about what an Orthodox Presbyterian is? Yes. But being in the faith a little bit more than a week and a half, I said, are you a Christian? No. No, I'm not a Christian. Do I want to talk about what an Orthodox Presbyterian is to a non-Christian? No. (laughs) What do I want to talk to them about? They need Jesus. (laughs) Let's talk about Jesus. Well, no, I want to know what a Presbyterian is. I'll talk about that later. Let's talk about you and your sin in Jesus. You see what I'm getting at? So, what we're going to look at today is in the, the, the same gospel, same Jesus, same offer, offer, same gospeler. Some receive, some reject. We know ultimately it's because God gives them ears to hear or he doesn't, but they're still culpable. I'm counting this woman that we'll look at this morning, this slave girl, as a rejecter of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
um, in his gospel, as I say, because she's possessed by... Um, so the Greek is pneuma, is spirit. I'm butchering that, I know. And um, the, the underlying word of divination here is um, python. She's a python spirit. She's demon-possessed, and we'll look at that. Let's start macro view and then descend down to micro view, looking at 16, 17, and 18 in the rejection. When the gospel of Christ comes to us, repent of your sins, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. When that comes to us, there's a choice to be made. Now you think, well, Pastor, you're clearly an Arminian. You're not a Calvinist. No, I promise I am. I, I promise I'm a Calvinist. You either receive Jesus as he is offered to you, or you reject. Joshua says, it's Joshua 24, I know it can be misused. Choose this day. So sometimes people say, well, you know, Calvinism means you don't come to Jesus. That's foolish. Read Calvin. Read our confession. Read the Bible. Um, Acts 13, 14, as many as are appointed to eternal life, what? They just walked around, they were elect? No, they believed. You must believe. Acts 17, you must repent. You must believe. But there's a choice. Will you, will you receive Christ or will you not? And that, it shows us that very generally. Lydia receives. These other folks reject. I want to say that. Say this. Um, my wife's family, they're Hindus. And if you talk to some of them, depending on what day, they'll, well, I don't want to say anything bad about Jesus. And I, Jesus is a nice guy. There's no nice guy choice. There's no middle-of-the-road choice. Most people don't want to be, unless you're from Boston and you're, you like being obnoxious, most people don't want to just throw it over the plate and hit you in the squash. No. They want to choose the nice guy middle-of-the-road, right? But there's no middle-of-the-road with the gospel. And I, our brother either said it in his prayer or he, said it, he prayed it or he said it in preference to his prayer. On the last day, there's only going to be two kind of folk in the two lines. Sheep or goats. But not just on the last day. Right now. Everybody in this room is a sheep or a goat. Everybody, in the, everybody on the planet is either a sheep or a goat, and they're either on the narrow path, which believes in Jesus and receives him, or they're on the broad path. And the, the problem with the broad path is most people are on it, and they're having a big old time and it's easy to be on the broad path. You just be born of mom and dad. But the narrow path, you must be born again. And it runs right through the cross. So there, it's just so the gospel presents us with a cho- personal choice. We're not talking mama, daddy, whatever. It's you. Like you, you. Me, me. Do you believe in Christ? Well, my mom does. Good. Your mom will be going to heaven. What about you? Do you repent? Do you believe? And there's two ways. So there's, yes, Lydia, no, these other folks. But let me say this. There's a a passive no and an active no to rejecting Jesus. The passive no says no, but it doesn't say anything. Well, you Hey, here's the gospel. And this is what we do when my grand, my, I have four grandsons, and when they get around, particularly the little ones, and they're doing some madness, which is a lot. 
and you want to divert them, I'll use, with one of them, I would go, hey, is that a bear outside? And now he knows that I'm fooling around with him. I try to divert his little attention. Hey, is that a bear outside? This is how people do it with the gospel. Hey, the gospel. Did you vote for Trump? You see, <laughs> they're trying to get you off. They're trying to go this way or that way. That's a no. So we can say no by saying no, by saying nothing, or diverting is a no. Does that make sense? So there's an active no, and there's a passive no. And I'm going to add in that passive no, you can say no while you're saying yes. I totally believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Should I recite the, the, the Nicene Creed right now? Uh, that's a no. That's a no. See what I mean? Pressing play, pressing John 3.16 recording to spout, but you're pressing that. is not coming from you. It's just press, pray. That's a no. And so, obviously, saying yes is saying yes. Um, the Lord Jesus says this, and we're going to, just studying the macro, everyone who confesses me before men, what does Jesus say after that? you know your Bible? If you confess before men, Christ is my only hope in life and death, what does Jesus say about you? Okay. But, whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Reception of Christ, rejection of Christ. And it has consequences now. And I believe, and I've probably said this so much you want to kill me, um, I believe that Christianity is primarily an otherworldly religion. Yes, we should be the most diligent people. Martin Luther said if he thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow, he'd plant a tree today. And I'm with him on that. But eternity is going to be way longer than how we live here. There is eternal consequences to what we believe about Christ. And so we have the choice of rejecting the gospel, or the choice of receiving the gospel. This passage with the slave girl and the masters who essentially reject Jesus Christ is in the Bible, obviously. The whole Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, it's all inspired. It uses that word panuma, spirit, God, breathe. Everything in the Bible is written for our instruction. Not everything is John 3.16. Uh, there are warnings, there are threats, there are promises, there's law, there's gospel, but everything's there for a purpose. So when you come to a passage like this, slave girl, python spirit, demon possession, people that love money more than they love God, this is not a pleasant passage. It's a warning passage. We think, well, I don't want to have a Christianity that has any warning. Well, there are the mainline denominations will give you those churches. But then you're going to be on the, the not good line. And you're not going to hear, well, I'm not saying you can't be a Christian in those churches. But you're not hearing the Jesus of the Bible. Maybe you'll remember it from when you were a kid and your mother believed in the Jesus of the Bible, but you're not hearing it there. The Bible's filled with warnings. If you're a mom and a dad, if you're a mother and a father, and you have bitsies, in fact, even if you don't have a bitsy, I have a 35-year-old bitsy and a 33-year-old bitsy who are now bigger and stronger and smarter than me. You always warn them. Look out for that. Look out for this. Look out for that. This here, 
people that reject Jesus, written in the Bible, written to us, this is one of the ways I think God preserves us as the elect in Christ. It's through warnings. And how that it works exactly, I don't have a clue, but I know he does it. So how does he preserve the, the elect in Christ? How does he keep us from wandering away eternally? And of course, he holds us, but then he warns us. And this is part of that. The book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Our brother's talking on, he's teaching on the Sabbath. I literally want like a 20-week series on this. But as he was talking this morning, I was thinking Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4. So our salvation in Christ is depicted as a Sabbath. Our heaven and going to heaven is depicted as, as, as a Sabbath. But in that same area of Hebrews 3 and 4, I think it's Hebrews 3. The writing to the Hebrews, which I sometimes think is Paul, mostly I do, I don't know. He says, beware of the evil heart of what? Unbelief. That's this. That's this. We quantify or qualify sins. Um, I, I have done it. I was raised in a home and everybody I know abused alcohol and, and all of that. So I know it's bad and I sought help and everybody I know sought help. And so when I see drunks, I have an affinity for them. And I think, you know, it's bad and you should seek forgiveness. But it's not as bad as like homosexuality or something like that. Because I don't know anybody. Pers- I know one in my family. And I, that wasn't my sin. My sin was other. So we, we quantify, qualify all over the place. Can I suggest something? Rejecting Jesus Christ is the worst sin possible. Worse than being a drunk. Worse than being a druggie. Worse than being a fornicator. Worse than being a thief. To say to the Father who says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, listen to Him. And to say back to Him, I don't love Him. I'm not well pleased with Him. I will not listen to Him. Beloved, I don't think there can be a worse kind of sin. The sin of unbelief is the worst sin. I say it a lot. Our larger catechism, question and answer 151, how we aggravate our sins. There's four ways to aggravate your sin. By the person doing the sinning, by the person we sin against, by the occasion of the sin, and by the nature of the sin. Again, our brother teaching on the Lord's Day, or the Sabbath. The Christian Sabbath, so Exodus chapter 5, the reason for the Sabbath is, uh, is creation. Remember the Creator. But then the, the reason changes in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Remember, you were a slave. It goes to redemption. So here, th- this particular rejection of Jesus by the slave girl, the python girl, happens on another, Lord, another Sabbath. We aggravate our sins. People say this all the time. Um, I went to a church when I was a kid, and uh, the minister said something bad, and so I never go to church ever again. Maybe that's true. I tend not to believe that that's true. I tend not to believe that that, that's true. However, if you are raised in a Bible-believing home, and your Bible-believing mom and dad took you to a Bible-believing church in a gospel-preaching church, and you rejected the gospel, it is going to go way worse for you than some poor guy sitting in a cave in Zimbabwe who's never heard the name of Jesus Christ. We say that all the time. What about the, this is what the Calvinists and the Arminians, what about the poor guy sitting in a cave? 
well, God will deal with him. But it's way more dangerous to not be the guy sitting in a cave who's never heard the gospel. It's way more dangerous to be going down to the riverside to work where the worship is going on, which is when this slave girl, and I'm going to argue how she rejects the gospel, rejects the gospel. I don't know the percentage of professing Christians that actually are not possessing Christians, but I would imagine it would be high. So this is the worst kind of a sin. It stands as a warning. Um, the occasion, as I say, is they're trying. The, Paul and the guys, previously, on the previous Sabbath, they go down, they, they share the gospel with uh, Lydia and the, and the ladies, and Lydia becomes a believer. So one week later, it seems to be the implication of the text, they're, they're going outside of the city because there's no synagogue. They go outside of the city. They go down to the river place to have worship. Let me ask you a question. What is being taught by getting outside of the city, going down to the river to be with the other professing believers? What's taught by that? Principally, what lessons do you learn by that? It's what we learn here. So the word for church is ecclesia and synagogue. Ecclesia is the called out. Synagogue is the gathered together. Called out from the world, called out from sin, called, called, called to gather together under Christ. Those are the ideas. What's being depicted is the people of God are trying to get away from the world. They're, this is in a commune. This is in a commune. They get away from the world, but they're getting away from the world, not meaning the dirt, the stuff, the cats, the, the, those things, but the worldling. They're trying to get away from the unbeliever so that they can gather together with believers in worship. Some churches, not Reformed churches of any stripe that I know, Presbyterian Baptist, um, there's a big church. I'm not going to tell you the name, but my uncle used to go to that big church in California, like 30,000 people. And so my uncle said to me, back home I'm called Jack. And he said, Jack, it's like this. Saturday night is for, believe, uh, is for believers. Sunday is for seekers. And I said, Uncle Tommy, it's the other way around. If, I mean, I don't know what you do on Saturday, but Sunday is not for seekers, for unbelievers seekers, if there's such a thing. It's for believers. The Lord's Day is for believers. So they're trying to gather with believers. And here's what we're being taught. They're trying to separate from the world so they can worship God. And we have pestering the guys, this woman with a python spirit, which shows us something. The devil goes to church. The devil goes to church. You think because you shut the doors, the devil can't get in the church? Read the Bible. The devil would often send his servants into the synagogue when Jesus went there to do what? To pester the stuffing out of him. To attack Jesus. So here's Paul and the guys out preaching Christ on, on the Sabbath, and Satan sends his servant over there. The Sabbath rest that we enjoy here is a, is a, is we enjoy it so imperfectly. There's no way to enjoy the Sabbath rest ultimately as we will with no devil, with no world, with no flesh. So the devil goes to church. He sends his servants because this woman begins to pester Paul and the guy guys on the Sabbath. Now, um, as I mentioned, the worst sin, I would argue, is rejecting Christ, which she does. Now, the person that I'm considering is this particular woman. And actually, in the context, there's, there, there the two people that we're looking at is the slave and the master. And the master is plural, I understand. You know, it's, um, 
I, I hope I don't get myself in trouble. Our day, I suppose every time on the planet since the creation of time, we think this, wow, we live in unique days and really crazy days. We live in some crazy days, I think. Um, a lot of times there's this, in our current society, it's kind of an us against them. Like, this group is good and that group is bad. Poor people good, rich people bad. This whatever people good, this whatever people bad, right? What this text is showing us, just principally, the slave girl is a slave of the devil. She's seeking trickily to corrupt the gospel. The other guys are also slaves of the devil, but they don't know it, and they're doing it for the old-fashioned reason. But they're on the other end of the spectrum. We have a woman, she's a slave. We have guys, they're masters, and they both reject Jesus. Beloved, to some extent, I suppose we're all different, and like you can take groups of people, and maybe they're different. I don't think so, really. I really don't think so. Northern, Southern, are we really different? White, black, are we really different? Rich, poor, really? I don't think so. I don't think so. You may think, like, you eat hash browns and we eat grits, whatever. That's not different. What this text is teaching us is all of those differences. Poor people reject Jesus. Rich people reject Jesus. Women reject Jesus. Men reject Jesus. Black folks, white folks, you name it. Democrats reject Jesus. There's a guy, he's a talking head, he's a Jewish guy. John MacArthur shared the gospel with him from Isaiah 53. If you've never seen this on, John MacArthur's a genius. Is he a dispensationalist Baptist? And I differ on the little things, yes, but he's a genius. He flat out preaches to this conservative guy, Jesus, from Isaiah 53. That conservative guy is a rejecting rejecter of Jesus. We've learned this. Now, the woman, the reason I'm arguing that she is a rejecter of Christ is, as I say, she's possessed by a python spirit. She has an unclean spirit. She's held in the clutches of the devil. So she is a, a spiritual slave of Satan. I don't often do this, but turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians 2. Go eat popcorn. Remember that one. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians. There you go. We're at the eat part. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. This is the nature of man. So this woman represents to us both the condition of fallen man and the power of Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world. And what's that next phrase? According to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. And the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience governed by the devil. And look at verse 3. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And look at that last phrase. And we were by nature children of what? Wrath. This is the problem. The reason that the presentation of the gospel in most churches is just be good is not the gospel. 
they don't believe the problem. It's just therapy. It's like the 12 steps. You just need to go to AA or Emotions Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. It's just a little bit of therapy. Beloved, the problem is that man doesn't need just a little bit of therapy. All human beings, apart from God's saving grace, all, apart from God's saving grace, we're dead in our sins and trespasses, and all of us are children of darkness, held under the dominion of the devil. You think you're out of your mind. Who will ever come to this church? I don't know who will come to this church, but I'm not out of my mind. I can read. We are children of darkness, held by the bondage of the... Look around. Our brother talked about the internet. I'll be 59 in a month. You could click on that internet stuff. Never in a million years would I think you could ever see this nonsense. Boys marrying boys or whatever whatever they're doing or whatever people are doing. Never in a million years, if you asked me 10 years ago, would I think this would occur, ever. Where does that come from? This. And why, why do I maintain? We say, Pastor John, you, you're misreading the text. You're isogeting the text. She doesn't reject the gospel. She affirms the gospel. She says, no, these guys are preaching the way of, of salvation. So how can you say she's a gospel rejecter? Easy, and I'm going to give my answer. Let me ask you this question. She's possessed by the devil. Here's my question. Does the devil know that Jesus is the Christ? Yeah. Does the devil know the propositional truths of the gospel, his person and his work? Yes or no? Can the devil quote the Bible? Does he? Yes, he does. This, the next week, if I have a next week, I always say if I have a next week, because I, I see people that we, we leave. We, I don't know who's here today and gone tomorrow. Next week, the next, her masters are easy, squeezy to figure out. Easy. It's the old-fashioned way. Money. There's two things, there's two hooks that the devil uses which gets every, like, most people. Easy, squeezy. Sexual uncleanness works like a wicked charm every time. The, the one that's just under that, they go hand in hand, is money. The, the love of sexual uncleanness and the love of money, Katie, bar the door, those are the two hooks that work like a wicked charm. You don't have to be a genius. People think, oh, the devil's doing tricky things. He doesn't do anything tricky. Sexual uncleanness and the love of money. Wang, wang. This is trickier. This is actually what those other things flow out of this. Being bound by the devil. So she, this is like, you remember when the false prophets of Baal, no, not Baal, uh, uh, um, um, Pharaoh's priests, Moses does, does these miracles by Jehovah, by the Lord. And what do the false priests do? The same miracle. The way the devil works is by deceit, by disguising. He'll say the truth. He'll quote the Bible. He's, John 3.16, I am convinced. This is just me. You could think I'm crazy. I am convinced that there are gobs of false teachers, preachers, who know what the gospel facts are, and then when you, they meet you, a real gospel believer, a real gospel Bible person, they get around and say, oh, yeah, I believe the gospel too. John 3.16. And then you go, I guess Pastor John was wrong. Like, these people like, are not what he's saying. They believe what I believe. 
Does the devil know the gospel? Yes. Will he even preach it a time or two? Does he preach the gospel or does this demon-possessed woman preach the gospel to destroy the kingdom of the devil? Yes or no? No. This is a Jude. We let down our guard. The devil works by confusing and he works, works by conjoining. Remember Sanballat and Tobiah? They tell the Jews, hey, we want to work with you. Can we join you? We're, we're, we're one. We're, we're same message. Oh, no, it isn't. There's a gospel song, Don't Let the Devil Ride. And actually, it means it, Don't Let the Devil Ride Your Car. It's not Presbyterian, but I like lots of non-Presbyterian songs. Don't let the devil ride. But I'm going to say something. Don't let the devil preach your gospel. He could say the right things, but watch these guys after a while. Remember 1984, which was written in 1949? He didn't, use double, he didn't write the word doublespeak. He had the concept of doublespeak. It's deceit speech, which is what the devil's doing. The devil wants people to hear the gospel, these propositional facts, from this devil-possessed woman. Oh, this Christ. This is a message that comes from a spirit of the python. It's like hearing uh, someone say, um, Gandhi. Gandhi would say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. Huh. I thought you were a Hindu. A false prophet of a false religion says, I believe in Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. I guess Pastor John's wrong. Or like a Romanist saying, we believe justification by faith. I knew Shortman was wrong. What do they mean? Faithfulness. Not your faith in Christ's faithfulness, your obedience. Huh, but why didn't you tell me that? Why did you say John 3.16, but you meant something else? Why? Why does the devil do that? He's a liar. He's a liar. Beloved, we're taught by this. Don't believe everybody that can quote the Bible. Don't even believe everybody that can tell you that they believe the facts of the gospel. Especially if they're a minister. Why? Watch them. I don't mean to scare anybody. I don't mean to scare anybody. I'll show my cards. I believe. I, I can't quantify. It's a lot. I don't know if it's majority or not. There are gobs of professing Christians who can say the Nicene, the Apostolic Creed, Apostles' Creed, I believe, credo, I credo believe, we believe. They can tell me John 3.16. But their theology and their faith rises no higher than a demon. Demons are monotheist. Demons are Trinitarian. Demons know the, 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 the facts of the gospel. What's the difference? It's not, can you tell me John 3.16? Can you tell me the gospel? Can you say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you trust in him? Do you live for him? It's, the difference is just... And I, I want to end with something which I, I find very, very, very encouraging. If the problem is as big as the Bible says it is about us, that we're slaves of the devil... This is why I think as Christians, when we meet a non-Christian, 
If you were converted later in life, I don't know, maybe this slows down for you a little bit, but maybe it doesn't. Oftentimes, if, when we're converted out of the pig pen, as I was converted out of the pig pen, and right away you meet other people in the pig pen, you tell them about Jesus, and you don't look down your snoot at them when they're in the pig pen because you still have the stuff off you and you smell it. But you, you, I was saved out of the pig pen, you're in the pig pen, let me tell you about Jesus. But what happens is when we get a little bit down the road and we meet, we meet folks in the pig pen, what do we do? I wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole. You're so disgustingly dirty, I can't even bear to look at, to, to, to look at you. Why do you do those vile, evil, Satanish things? Why do they? Because they're slaves of the devil. Just like us. Right? And how are we now free? In the name of Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you come to the house and ask, Pastor John, what's your view on this, other non-Bible things, and you want to talk, I'll talk your head off on these things. I have views on diet. I have views on everything. Those things are not going to break the power of the devil. Christ. Christ sets us free. Christ sets us free from the dominion of the devil, from vile affections. Talk to people caught in sin. Vile affections. Let's not look down our nose at them. What should we do? Jesus. Jesus. Tell them about Christ. And beloved, as a Christian, if you are a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ has broken the power of the devil over you. Can he pester you? Yes. The Puritans would say he can make you sad on the way to heaven, but he can't stop you from getting there. He can pester you, but he can't snatch you. He can't hold you. You can never be demon-possessed as a Christian, ever. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. You can be pestered, but you cannot be possessed. Jesus Christ has set you free, but it's only Christ. Amen? May God be pleased with the preaching of his Christ.